The reading for today is Galatians chapter 5, verses 7 to 16, uh, but the message itself is going to concentrate on verses 13 to 15. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Well, last week we were reminded of the, the wonderful gospel message, uh, but we also saw that, that this gospel that we love so much can also be quite offensive to people. And the message was about the total sufficiency of Christ. Christ is enough. Nothing else is needed but only faith working through love. Uh, to be a proper Christian or to be a better Christian, we don't need to add religious works. We don't need to add any specific religious ceremonies. Uh, we don't need to have any particular spiritual gift. You don't have to be able to speak in tongues. You don't even have to vote for a particular political party. And any unbiblical teachings or, or side issues or distractions that get presented as to be a better Christian or to be a proper Christian, you'd better do this, you'd better embrace this, you'd better think this, or you'd better pass this on to all of your contacts, otherwise you're not a good Christian. Any of that is not a teaching of God. Uh, even if the person telling you these things is very persuasive, um, if I'm being told that to be a better Christian, I have to do this or I have to do that, it's a lie of the devil and it's a form of enslavement. Uh, the issue in Galatia that Paul was writing about was they were enslaved because a number of them had been convinced, oh, we need to keep all of the old covenant religious law. But in Christ, they'd been called to freedom. In Christ, we've been called to freedom. Now, the strange thing with us humans is on a lot of issues, we tend to swing like a pendulum. Uh, right, So we tend to swing from one extreme through to the other extreme, uh, when the truth of the matter is actually somewhere in between. And when we've been enslaved by something, when we, we let the shackles off and, and, and the, the shackles of enslavement are taken off, we might have been pulled right over one way, but then we can be unshackled and so we go right over to the other extreme, which is just as destructive and just as enslaving. So let me give you a couple of examples of that. And, I, and I've chosen these two examples because they're ones that we see quite commonly within the church. So 
Firstly, let, let's talk about spiritual gifts. In my experience, some of the biggest swings of the pendulum that we find in churches is to do with the spiritual gifts and with particular spiritual gifts. Uh, a spiritual gift, what is it? Uh, it's an ability that God gives us to be able to do things that in our own strength we could not do. It's not something that we're naturally talented at. It's not something that we're naturally good at. It's God doing something through us. And we all have different spiritual gifts. So, for instance, I think I've told you this before. Naturally, I'm a terrible public speaker. Um, my greatest fear at school was having to get up in front of the class and, and give a little lecturette, as they call it. And I'd just practice and practice and practice and... And then I'd still get up in class and ooh, ah, um, and, and I'd just feel terribly self-conscious and, and do a terrible job of it. But when God called me to preach, I discovered that his Holy Spirit enables me to do it. And so if you get anything good out of any of these message, messages, all glory goes straight to God because I know that it's only through him that I can do this. And that's the way all of our ministry should be. God does his work through us. And so if anything good comes of the ministry we do, then God gets the glory. Now, when it comes to gifts of the Holy Spirit, I don't think there is, would be many who would argue that, that gifts like the gift of teaching or preaching or, or the gift of intercession, that's praying, um, gifts of mercy or serving or giving or helping. I don't think many people would say all oh, those gifts don't exist anymore. But some people do say that about gifts like healing, miracles, speaking in tongues, prophecy. Uh, cessationism is the belief that the gifts known as the sign gifts ended with the apostolic age. And after all the original apostles died, these sign gifts cease to exist, right? So I'm going to call that one extreme. And I'm calling it extreme because I can't find evidence of that in the scripture. I can't find any evidence that says that, that the spiritual gifts, any of them, were taken away. So some people, and maybe even some of us, may have ingrained into us that these gifts don't happen anymore. And so if we do see these gifts happening in the church, you might automatically respond and go, oh, that's the work of the devil, right? So that's one extreme of the pendulum. Now, I want you to imagine that maybe that's been your experience in a church and you've never seen spiritual gifts. You've never experienced spiritual gifts. You may have never even heard of them. But then you, you, you hear some teaching about the spiritual gifts and how God uses his gifts for his purposes and for the building up the church. And, and your eyes are opened. And for the first time, it's going, oh, wow, this is amazing. Why have I never been told this before? This is a whole new experience of God. And, and why have I been missing out on this? Why have they not told us this? And, and wow, the spirit of God is at work and it's really exciting. And woohoo! And we swing the pendulum right over to the other side. Now, let me describe to you what the other side looks like. The other extreme looks like this. Some, some of the most instructive teaching that we find in the Bible on spiritual gifts, we, we find in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. In Corinth, we get a picture of a church who was so 
focused on the spiritual gifts that for them it became a very selfish thing. And, and they became a church who didn't love. They, they were like, my gifts are better than your gifts. Or, oh, my gifts are not as good as your gifts. And, and if you don't have this particular spiritual gift, then, then you're not a spiritual person. You're not as spiritual as I am. You haven't got the power of the Spirit unless you can do this. And, and if you don't have this particular gift, you don't even have the Holy Spirit. And Paul came down really hard on them. You're calling yourselves spiritual. Don't you understand that the gifts are given for the building up of the church, not for the individual? And no gift is more spiritual than another. And we don't all have the same spiritual gifts. And his harshest criticism is that they were so focused, um, so self-focused and so focused on, on these spiritual gifts that they were not loving. They weren't loving their brothers and sisters in Christ in the way that they were using their spiritual gifts. And so Corinth had become a church of divisions and spiritual elitism. And we can see many churches in, in the world and in Australia today just like Corinth. All right, so the pendulum swings. It started out, no spiritual gifts. To wow, they do exist. And now look what I've been missing out on. You all have to have these same gifts, otherwise you're missing out and you're unspiritual. All right, so the pendulum swung right over to the other side. But then the misuse of the gifts causes a rift in the church, causes heartache and division and brokenness simply because it hasn't been done in love, it hasn't been done in the way the Scriptures teach us it should be. And then people go, oh, look at all this hurt. Look at all this pain Look at, and sin that's happening here. Must be of the devil. Maybe those cessationists were right. And the sign gifts have been the work of the devil and it swings right back over the other side again and so the pendulum seems to swing from one extreme to the other when the truth should be exactly how the scriptures tell us that the gifts are supposed to function for the building up of the church no gift greater than the other they should be used with a motivation of love for our brothers and sisters in christ they never should be used to exclude people. So, for instance, with the gift of, of tongues, you're not supposed to use that gift in church at all unless there's somebody there to interpret because otherwise you're excluding people. And that's all in the Scriptures. Um, and the gifts have to be used in an orderly way. Nobody speaking over the top of the other, only one person speaking at a time, once again, because otherwise that's not loving. Nobody taking centre stage and stepping back to let others participate. Every member valuing the other, right? So that's, that's how it's supposed to be. And yet we see it swinging one extreme to the other and back to the other extreme again. The second example is the one that it's, that's in play here in Galatia. Uh, on one side of the pendulum is legalism. You must keep the law. On the other side of the pendulum is licentiousness. We're free. We don't have to keep the law anymore. Woohoo! We can do whatever we like. And both of these are an enslavement. On one side of the pendulum, we're enslaved to the old covenantal law. On the other side of the pendulum, we're enslaved to the cravings of the flesh. 
which is our human inclination to satisfy our worldly desires. Whereas the sweet spot is to be saved by grace. Christ is sufficient and to be living by the Spirit. That's the sweet spot. So what Paul says now, and in this reading that we've just read now, is to guard against the pendulum swinging too far the other way, right? Up until now, he's been telling us, don't be enslaved by the old covenant law. In Christ, you're free. But now he's saying, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, right through to verse 10 of the next chapter, we didn't read that this morning, um, but right through to there, Paul describes what living in the Spirit looks like. And we're going to study most of that next week. Today, we're going to be concentrating on how we relate to one another. Often it seems that enslavement to one extreme or the other is accompanied with a wrong relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So, for example, um, in what we've been studying, it's been pretty obvious that the ones who are embracing the old covenant law have been looking down on those who were not embracing the old covenantal law. And, and this is no little matter. Remember, those who were living by the law would refuse to even eat with a Gentile, and most of the church with Gentiles. So why? Because they considered them unclean. Now imagine what our fellowship here would be like um, if, if half our church thought the other half were unclean and wouldn't eat with them. Imagine that. Imagine if you thought that about your brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, I can't even eat with them. They're, they're, not, they're not spiritually pure. But when legalism is called out for what it is, and a church takes a decided stand against legalism, that, that too can create a few problems, uh, particularly if the pendulum swings too far the other way. On one side, you might have people who have so far swung away from the law that they're now living by the flesh. And they've probably got the attitude, look how free we are. We're free in Christ. We can do whatever we like. We don't even need to try to be good because Jesus has already forgiven us. And, and, and we see some of that around today. It's called hyper grace, where they believe you don't even need to ask for forgiveness anymore because Jesus has already forgiven your sins, past, present and future. So it doesn't matter what you do. And you don't have to feel guilty about it if you do something wrong. And you don't need to tell God that you're sorry and ask for forgiveness because you're already forgiven. And if you're not living like we live, then you don't understand the grace of the gospel. If you're trying to be good, you're, you're, you're into legalism. And we, and we throw these labels around. On the other side, there are still those who are tempted to, to embrace the old covenant law because they're saying, look, if, if you keep the law, Sorry, if you don't keep the law, you're not a good Christian. And just look at the way, look at the way you're living. It, it's so obvious that if you're not keeping the law, look where it leads. So that's the two extremes. 
But even in the middle, there can be bitterness. It's a traumatic thing for a church to go through theological division and theological upheaval. Sometimes it ends up in a church split. Most of the denominations of today had their origins in a church split where people had theological divisions and I disagree with you on this and it's so important I can't, I can't fellowship with you. We're going to form our own church where we'll teach what we believe instead of what you believe. And sometimes it ends up in a church split. At other times, it doesn't. But either way, when it's all said and done, that's when the blame game begins because it's always very hurtful for a church split. And it's your fault. All of that hurt and all that trauma that we went through as a church, that's your fault because you didn't believe what we believe and the blame game begins. Now, Paul makes a statement here that I find absolutely fascinating. In verse 13, he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. This is a picture of what freedom in Christ and fellowship in Christ really looks like. Through love serve one another. Now, using that English word serve sort of misses the point that Paul is making here. Um, the word for slavery uh, that he wants us to be free from is dulace, okay, in the Greek. Now, so dulos is the word for slave. The word for slavery that he uses here is dulace, and the word for serve that he urges us to do is dulet, okay? So it's basically the same root word, just with different endings on, okay? And, and this is what I find so fascinating. We're being called to freedom, stop being a slave to the law. And living by the Spirit is to love our brothers and sisters in Christ so much that when we practically demonstrate this love, we do it by becoming a slave to them, right? So the word for servant, it is actually slave. So we serve one another as slaves. That means the good of the other always comes before my own good. Now that's, that's a pretty big love, isn't it? That's a pretty big commitment. You see, love between Christians isn't some kind of airy-fairy concept where I'll do something nice for you as long as it doesn't impact on me too much. Um, it's not like that at all. It's very practical and it's very costing. When we truly love each other, we serve each other at great personal cost. To, to be a servant, to be a slave of the other means that they come first. Through love, serve one another. The prominence of love is this self-giving love. And it's, that's freedom. Do you understand this? We are free to serve one another. And that's where our freedom is best expressed, is when we willingly serve one another. 
And we shouldn't be surprised by this. Paul quotes from the same Old Testament passage that Jesus quoted from. He said, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. See, in the church, it's never the law that creates fellowship. As if we could ever legislate, be nice to one another. As if we could make that a rule. Okay, now, everybody in the church, you have to love each other. That can't work. That's slavery. That's an enslavement. That's legalism. That's law. You can't legislate for it. It's the love that we have in Christ. God gives his love to us, and we so delight in the love that God has given us, we love each other. It's the common love that we have for Christ and the common love that we have for one another that, that drives us to serve one another. Now, when there's no love in a church, verse 15 gives us a picture of what that can be like, and it's pretty ugly. And we need to search our hearts deep and see, does this describe me? It says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Strange thing is, if you watch the world and take notice of what's happening in political upheavals in the world, um, something which quite commonly happens is there might be an insurrection rises up, right? So there's been a, might be a terrible dictator or something, and the country seems to be functioning all right, but terrible dictator. And, and then they have this big uprising and overthrow the government. But then there's like a great big power vacuum. And all these different factions rise up. And these factions that used to be held down by the dictator are all of a sudden fighting each other and after their own cause and after their own particular um, thing that they're hoping for. And it's just ugly. And I think this is sort of the image that he's giving us here, what it can be like in the church. We've been set free in Christ, but then we get our own desires and we start focusing on how we want things to go. It might be different to how somebody else wants it to go. And if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. What does real freedom in Christ look like? What's the evidence of true freedom? It's when we're not enslaved to the law, so we're living by grace. It's where we're not enslaved by the flesh, and so we're living by the Spirit. It's where we're not enslaved to ourselves. And so in love, we willingly serve each other, freely serving our brothers and sisters in Christ, as if we were their slaves not thinking of ourselves, but only thinking of the good of the other. And so it, it's interesting how this all plays out. In, in Paul's eyes, doing the law, that's something, to do, that's something to be avoided. But fulfilling the law with Christian love, that's the sweet spot. And it achieves everything that the law was trying to achieve but couldn't. And over the next week, 
So next week we're going to um, see more about what living in the Spirit looks like and how living in the Spirit fulfills the law. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you uh, for the freedom that we have in Christ. But Lord, we ask that you would help us to never use that freedom as a, as a license to sin, um, as an, never use that as an opportunity for the flesh to, to enslave us once again. Lord God, we pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and that you would enable us to live by your Spirit. Lord, I, I pray that um, as we live by the Spirit, that this would become a fulfilment of the law, that we would love one another with such a great love that we would serve one another. And Lord, please reveal to us in ways that even we may have, have been people who, who bite and devour one another and we get consumed by one another. God, forgive us. Lord, we confess that is not of you, that is of the evil one. And Lord, we ask that you would forgive us of this and that you would fill us with, with the joy of your spirit and the love for one another that comes from that. In Jesus' name, amen.